book of Genesis, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 11, and we commence our reading at verse 27. If you're using the church Bible, it is page uh, 13. Genesis uh, chapter 11, page 13, church Bible, and we begin at verse uh, 27. This is the family line from Noah, uh, and we are now taking it up in the ninth generation uh, with the man called Terah. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Han, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was man. She had no children. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Han, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Han, they settled there. Terah lived two hundred and five years, and he died in Han. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions he had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. And then if we turn to Romans chapter 4, and I apologize for some reason I missed putting in the page, so if somebody using the church Bible finds Romans chapter 4 and gives me the page number, please. Romans chapter 4, and uh, we read again of Abraham here as we read two sections. 1131. Okay, 1131. 
in the church Bible, um, Romans chapter uh, 4. Thank you, Margaret. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something uh, to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we pick up at verse 10. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Amen. Much of my preaching uh, in 2011 was from uh, the New Testament. Uh, I think that was partly and largely circumstantial. Uh, We looked uh, at the beginning of the year uh, at baptism and then the responsibilities of elders. And then we came into the Gospel of John and then towards the end of the year, the fruit of the Spirit. And there was various single and individual sermons uh, and topics Um, alongside that. And so this morning I want to begin a series of sermons from the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament is equally inspired of God. It is profitable for the doctrine that we are to believe, uh, for the life that we are to live, for the correction that we need, and for the training uh, to live godly lives. Uh, And uh, we're going to take up our studies in Genesis where we left them off two years ago. Uh, We did a series of opening, sorry, a series of sermons, ten sermons on the opening eleven chapters uh, in 2010. And we reached chapter 11 and verse uh, 26 uh, where uh, we now come uh, to the ninth and then Abraham is the tenth generation uh, after uh, Noah. And our sermon this morning is going to be very much an introductory sermon uh, to this series of messages. Some people, if they knew this morning that we were beginning a series of sermons in the life of Abraham, would say, why study the life of Abraham? Should the church in the New Testament not be focused uh, on Christ and on the New Testament? Well, the answer to that question is a very simple one. Abraham, as a man who lived in the Old Testament, was focused on the Christ of the New Testament. Jesus himself said of Abraham 
uh, when he was on this earth, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Abraham was indeed a man who saw Christ in the Old Testament era. He looked forward to the Christ who would come. And he was glad and rejoiced in the Christ who would come. And so when we come to study the life of Abraham, we're studying the work of Christ our Saviour in the life of this man. And there are a number of reasons why I think studying uh, the work of Christ in the life of Abraham will, I hope, prove useful to us as a congregation at this time. And those are the reasons that are set out uh, on the order of service this morning. First of all, Abraham was a man saved by Christ from an unbelieving family. He was a man saved by Christ from an unbelieving family. Genesis chapter 11 from verse 10 to 26 is not uh, the most inspiring of reading in scripture at a first glance. It's a list of names. It traces those whom God saved through Christ belonging to the family of Noah from one generation to the next for ten generations. Remember when we finished our series in Genesis two years ago, we finished with Noah, the builder of the ark, the survivor of the flood, the believer in Christ, the preacher of Christ, who lived to be 950 years old. And Noah saw all ten generations that are named here in this section. He saw all of them being born before he died. In fact, Abraham would have been 58 years of age when Noah died. And Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 and following, introduces us to Abraham's immediate family. We spoke about the family there with the children. His father, Terah, his mother's name's not given. The two younger brothers, Nahor and Haran. And then we're told where this man lived. Verse 28 and verse 31 says that he lived at Ur of the Chaldeans. Where on earth is that? Well, Ur uh, was ancient, uh, or the Chaldeans, Chaldea was ancient Babylon, modern day Iraq. And if you were to travel along the river Euphrates, going towards the Persian Gulf, then you would come uh, to um, the city of Babylon in that ancient culture, and then uh, halfway between there and the tip of the Persian Gulf, you would come to this place called Ur. Now lying on a river, it was a fertile area. Prosperous region, good for farming and livestock. And it would seem that that is what 
the family of Abraham do for a living. They are farmers. Spiritually, Ur is a very dark place in the time of Abraham. It's a place of superstition. It's a place of unbelief. I mentioned with the boys and girls, Joshua 24, uh, chapter 24 and verse 2, page 240 in the Church Bible. Here's what we read. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. That's how life began for Abraham. Yes, if you went far enough back in this family of Abraham, you came to those who were godly. But in his immediate family, his father and his mother, his brothers, sisters, if he had such, they worshipped false <coughs> gods. And Ur was a centre of sun and moon worship. There was a time when Abraham did not worship the living and true God, the God of creation, the God of salvation in Christ. But then Joshua tells us in chapter 24 and verse 3, page 240, But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river. He took him from the place of unbelief. He took him from a life of unbelief. And he saved Abraham through Christ. He saved him from an unbelieving family. And some of you here this morning can identify with that experience. Because you were born... Uh, into a family where your parents, your brothers, your sisters did not love and serve God. Perhaps if you went back a couple of generations, maybe to your grandparents or your great-grandparents, there were believers in your family. But in your father's family, in your mother's family, among your siblings, there was not a knowledge of God and of Christ as Saviour. But here now. Here you are today. And you're in church. And you're first. What we might call first generation believers. God has saved you by Christ. From an unbelieving family. And you are here in church this morning. And you're wondering. Will I be able to keep it up? My parents, my siblings, um, they worship, maybe even my children. They worship other gods. They're still devoted to money and pleasure and success. Have I bitten off more than I can chew in being a Christian? Will I be able to keep up the Christian life? Can I keep going with the ungodly influence that seems to be all around me and that's trying to squeeze me back into its mould? And Abraham says to you this morning, yes, you can. 
Abraham says to you, yes you can. He says, that was my life. And he says, I have done it. And you can do it. And why has he done it? And why can you do it? Because it is all of Christ. It's all of Christ. Abraham says to you this morning, the Christ who saved me has saved you from an unbelieving family. The Christ who has kept me will keep you. The Christ who has guided me will guide you. The Christ who has taught me will teach you. The Christ who has changed me will change you. He is the same Christ in Abram's day, today and forever. Is that not a reason to study the life of Abraham? That those of you who have been saved like Abraham by Christ from an unbelieving family might learn how to live for Christ in that family. But then secondly, we notice, uh, we study the life of Abraham because he was a man whose faith in Christ was genuine. It was genuine. It was the real thing, so it was. The Bible tells us that there is such a thing as faith that is not saving. There is such a thing as conversion that is not real. As repentance that is not true. It is possible for a person to have a profession that does not last. Jesus warned the crowds following him with these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Not everyone in churches this morning who says, Jesus is my saviour, will enter heaven. Why not? On what basis could it be that some who say and call on the name of Jesus would not enter heaven to be with Christ? Christ answers, only he who does the will of Of my father. You see when you and I name the name of Jesus. And we say Jesus is my saviour. Then that has got to be shown. In a life that obeys the will of the father. And Abraham is a marvellous example. Of one who named the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament. And who looked forward to Jesus who would save him from his sins by the life that Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died. But that was not some empty, shallow, mere profession. It was genuine. It was real. It was life changing. And we see it here and we see it Uh, Throughout the following chapters from chapter 12 to 25. So as we study the life of Abraham, we will learn from him what it is to have a faith in Christ that is genuine, that is real. Let me just whet your appetite for that. 
Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 we're told God speaks to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham. How do we know Abraham's faith is genuine? Verse 4. Abraham left as the Lord had told him. A life of obedience. How do we know Abraham's faith is genuine? His faith in Christ? What do we find him doing in chapter 12 when he's brought into the land of Canaan? We're told, verse 8, uh, sorry, verse end of verse 7, So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And then verse 8, There he built an altar to the Lord, and called on the name of the Lord. In other words, this man shows that his faith is genuine, because here is a man who worships the Lord. He worships the Lord. We turn into the next, uh, to chapter 14. How do we know that his faith is genuine? Well, here's a man who gives tithes to the Lord out of gratitude for his salvation. Turn further into Genesis and we come to chapter 18. How do we know that this man's faith is genuine? Well, here's a man who now prays for others. There are these two wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is about to judge them. And Abraham intercedes and he prays for God's mercy and for God's judgment to be held back. Here's a man who shows his faith as genuine by his witness to others. And if you and I are people whose faith is in Christ then we will be imitators of Abraham. When we hear God's word, when Christ speaks to us through the reading and the preaching of his word, we will obey. We will worship the Lord. We will give our tithes to the Lord out of gratitude for his salvation. We will be people of prayer. Praying for ourselves, praying for others, praying for the lost. We will be witnesses to the Lord Jesus also, that in him alone is salvation. So why study the life of Abraham? To see a Christian living in an unbelieving family? To see a man whose faith was genuine and how our faith will show itself to be genuine, but also then to see a man with faults. A man with faults. Abraham, in the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, as we'll see later, he is a giant. He is a moral and spiritual and intellectual giant. He's one of God's greatest servants Ever to have lived. Yet we must never think. That Abraham was perfect. For he wasn't. And you mustn't think. That because you are saved. In Christ. You are perfect. For you aren't. Abraham was a man with faults. A man who in spite of his salvation Christ. Fails to trust God. And lets God down. 
and dishonors Christ at crucial points in his life and inflicts misery on himself and others as a result. Again, let me whet your appetite for that. To see this man of genuine faith and yet a man who's flawed, a man who stumbles, a man who falls, a man who fails. Here in Genesis chapter 12, when he gets into the land of Canaan, there is a famine. Yes, God has brought him to this place. And the place where God has put him is now no bread. And Abraham fails to trust that the Lord will give him his daily bread. And he goes out of the land without asking the Lord. Should he go without being told by the Lord to go? He acts in disobedience and a lack of faith. And when he gets into Egypt... He makes things worse because he says to his wife, Now you're a good looking woman. And I'm not the only one who knows that. He says, These Egyptians, they've got eyes and they know a good looking woman as well. And if you walk around here and they realize that you're married to me, they're going to want to have you because of your beauty and they're going to kill me. So I want you to tell a lie. You're not my wife. For the purpose and the time that we are in Egypt, you're simply my sister. And we'll come to that. That was wrong. He lied. And again, it almost had disastrous consequences. In Genesis chapter 16, we come to another of Abraham's failures. And again, it's in the whole area of morality. Here's this man of God, this giant of God, and what do we find him doing? We find him sleeping with a woman to whom he is not married. Breaking the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And he's doing that because his wife Sarah has not been able to have any children. And he's listened to his wife Sarah who said, well, if I can't have a child... This woman that's in our house, well, you could have a child through her. That again was not God's will. Yes, Abraham is a man of faith. But he's also a man with faults and failures. He fails Christ in all these ways. and In all these occasions. There's times when he loses his nerve. And his vision fades. And his feet stumble. And his knees bend. And his arms and hands weaken. He's a real man. And he is no different to the 21st century believer. You and I are saved by Christ. We are men and women and young people Boys and girls who fail Christ in many ways. Which of us has not lied? Which of us has not had thoughts that are unworthy of Christ? And that we should not have about other people. Jealousy or hatred. Perhaps even lustful desire. 
Christ spoke of committing these sins not only in the body but also in the heart. And when we stumble and fail as Abraham did then what is it that often comes into our minds? Well, it's the question. It's the doubt. Can God forgive me in Christ? Can God restore me in Christ? Will God ever use me in Christ? And again, the answer that comes to us from the life of this man, Abraham, saved by Christ, with a genuine faith in Christ, but yet a flawed life, the answer comes to us, yes, God can use you. God will forgive you. Only in Christ. Always in Christ. He will forgive. He will restore. He will use. And so we learn then from Abraham how to cope with our sins and our failures and our faults. And Abraham says to us again and again every time that he falls where sin did abound, where my sin did abound, there did grace much more abound to me in Christ. And that's what you and I need to hear. Every time we stumble and every time we fall, yes, our sin has abounded once again, but there's grace that abounds to the stumbling believer in Christ. But then, fourthly, we want to see that we study the life of Abraham because he was a family man. He was a family man. We spoke of how he grew up in a family and then he established his own family. And we might think, well, there's things that I can't avoid in my own fa- in the family that I've grown up. We are shaped by the circumstances in which we're born and grew up. But when I establish my own family, then everything's going to be perfect. And everything's going to be wonderful. There's going to be no problems. It's going to be a model family. And Abraham says, forget it. Forget it. There is no model Christian family. Abraham marries a woman called Sarai. She's also a woman of deep personal faith. One of the great examples of godly womanhood in scripture. And they have this nephew Lot who comes along with them. And they take with them Genesis 12 verse 5 to Haran. Where God takes them to set up a new life as a family. And yet this was not an idealistic life. Because here's a family 
And he has to wrestle. This man of God. This head of this family. Look at the problems. Look at the challenges he has to wrestle with. The greatest one of all is the fact my wife can't have a child. Can't have a child. And that problem is alluded to here right away in Genesis 11 verse 30. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. And in that day, that was a matter of great reproach, a matter of great shame. And Abraham wanted to have a son. In fact, we'll see that God had promised Abraham he would have a son. But there's months and year after year. In fact, there were 25 years of married life and of marital relationship before this man had a son. And he's called to wrestle with that and to work through that. And he makes a mess of it at one stage as we've seen already. But then also as a family man, he has to deal with disputes that arise in his family. Abraham has herdsmen. His nephew Lot has herdsmen. Chapter 13, we'll see there's a dispute and a disagreement. And Abraham has to come in and he has to sort the thing out. And then later on in chapter 14, Abraham intervenes when to rescue Lot, the family member, when he gets into trouble with some of the local kings. And again we see Abraham doing that through faith in Christ. Then you go to chapter 21. And here now he's got two sons. He's got the one that he got through Hagar wrongly. Ishmael. And he's got Isaac. And there's tensions that are mounting all the time. Between these two sons and their two mothers. And Abraham has to deal with that. As a man of God. And as the head of that home. Then at chapter 22. Abraham faces the prospect of losing his son Isaac through death at God's command. And again, in that situation, we see this man's faith in Christ triumphing over it all. And then chapter 24. Abraham's concerned that Isaac... His son will marry only a believer. And so he has to take steps and give guidance to ensure that that will happen. Then finally in chapter 25, we see this man um, facing death. In fact, he's already encountered death in chapter 23, the death of his wife. But now in chapter 25, he's preparing for his own death. And he wants to make sure that after his day, his sons will not have any reason to argue and dispute the will that he makes or the inheritance that he lives. This is full of practical Christian living. What a wealth of teaching the Christian finds here 
and how to live in the family and how to deal with issues in the family. Are these still not the things that you face, that I face, that we face as Christians today? As those saved by Christ living in the 21st century, a young married couple may discover to their heartbreak that they can't have children. What are they to do? What about when disputes arise within a family between siblings? What about when a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece gets into trouble with the neighbours or with the police? What is a Christian to do then? Is he to walk away? Is he to get involved? What about tensions that grow in a family between children, brothers and sisters? And how are we to handle those? Coping with death. The death of a parent. The death of a spouse. The death of a child. Those are real live issues in Christian families in Carrickfergus today. What about guiding our children in life so that they make the right friendships and enter into the right relationships that they marry only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we too need to make preparation for our own death. So that those who come after us or left behind us will not fight over our possessions when we are gone. You see, our faith in Christ, it never wraps us up in cotton wool. <clears throat> So that we don't experience these real live issues of human and family life. But what happens is, like Abraham, our faith in Christ enables us to face these things with prayer, with hope, with confidence, with perseverance. So we're going to learn a lot in this study, I believe, and I hope about how to live for Christ within the family. But then finally, we study the life of Abraham because he is the father of all who believe. Abraham's not just some distant figure in the past. Some great one that we look back to and we admire of no relevance to you and me now. Because if we had time this morning and you could preach a whole sermon on this. The prominence that's given to Abraham in the New Testament. Jesus himself was descended from Abraham. The Jews called Abraham our father Abraham. They thought themselves we are the sons of Abraham. But then we go into the rest of the New Testament and we find Peter and Stephen and Paul, the great ministers and servants of the church. And what do they teach? Well, Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, we read there in Romans chapter 4 what he said. He said Abraham 
is the father figure of all who believe. Not just the Jews. The Jews alone who believe are not just the sons of Abraham. You and I who believe in Christ, we are the descendants of Abraham. And so we can look back to the servant of Christ in the Old Testament and we can learn from him because he is directly related to us. He's not just an example. He is our ancestor. And we will learn how blessing will come to us and all the peoples of the earth. Because of how Abraham lived and served Christ. And we will learn how blessing will come to all the peoples of the earth. From Abraham. As we live and serve Christ. He's the father of all. The father figure of every single believer. And so we... We, um, in Christ, look to this man and we learn from this man how to live for Christ. So that we're living life by faith in the Son of God. And that's going to be the title of our overall series. Abraham, living life by faith in the Son of God. And you and I, living life by faith in the Son of God. Amen.